2: Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline. This week's Hiatus Rewind is an episode from my former podcast, which was called Yes Means Yes. It's one of my favorite episodes that we did for that show. It's called The Indiana Jones of Sex Education, and it features Francisco Ramirez, who is a world-traveling, swashbuckling sex educator and consultant for the UN, but who also in his spare time, sets out a shingle in public parks in New York and offers free sex advice to whatever strangers want to stop by. He is vulnerable and wise and funny, and I just love talking to him. And you can catch both of us co-headlining the National Sex Education Conference this December. If you're at all interested in sex ed, it's a great conference. I hope you love this episode as much as I do. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and I found out about this week's guest on NPR, which doesn't happen a lot. Usually NPR isn't scooping me, I have to say, so I feel a little behind the times. But I was so intrigued when I heard the story about Francisco Ramirez, who has dedicated his career to responding to sexual health and public health needs of diverse communities all around the world. His day job is working at the U.N. leading multilingual training, education, research efforts. He's also an MTV host and producer, but also, and this is what the NPR story was about, um, he spends his evenings and weekends in New York offering free sex advice um, on relationships, sex, and dating to passerbys in New York City parks, which I'm so interested in. Francisco, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome to Yes Means Yes.
3: It is a pleasure to be here with you and to be able to talk to your, what I'm sure is a fantastically awesome audience.
2: They are, if I do say so myself, a pretty great audience, yes. (laughs) And I know they're going to want to hear all about you. So can we start actually by you telling me about what you do in your day job at the UN?
3: Sure. Well, that's it's complicated as many <laughs> as <laughs> Facebook are. status it's complicated <laughs> pretty much. I am New York based, so I do a lot of work at headquarters, but I sometimes travel to different countries and when I whether I'm traveling or I'm here in New York, uh I'm working on everything from the trainings on uh HIV or stigma or sexual health or gender diversity Yesterday, it was delivering a uh, workshop for the adolescent dependents of UN personnel in New York. So that was kind of a different uh, kind of thing.
2: And I'm assuming you wind up working with governments who are maybe not as uh, sexually literate or liberated as you wish that they were.
3: Yes, that <laughs> on a regular basis.
2: <laughs> Which is most of them, possibly all of them. I don't know. Is any, is any government that you've worked with doing really well?
3: um uh i would um, uh, I'll be diplomatic but it said so we all have we all really have room to grow starting here in the United States of course, obviously i
2: I guess I'm really curious about the tension of getting officials and governments to sort of take baby steps and and sort of you can see what they need and but they both because of you know the, the cultural the cultures in each of the, the, the countries, but also political realities, like uh, they're dealing with things that are, that mean that you're, they're never going to get to that, nor not anytime soon going to get to the ideal that you know that they need.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it, I always look at, at common ground. That's, that's so much of my work to establish a good, you know, rapport with whoever it is, whether it's an individual. And I think actually, now that I'm thinking of this, I think this extends to, uh, you know, individual relations, you know, relationships that people have um, with folks that they're dating, for example, you know, like where, you know, where do we align? Um, and I think that's especially important when I'm, you know, working you know with governments or different ministries of health, whatever it is, because uh, there can really be that, the, the tension is sort of what's highlighted often, you know, it comes to the surface quite quickly. So I try to, try to acknowledge that um, and say, listen, I know, you know, that you might have had this experience, you know, that that this might look like your focus, you know, have you, have you branched out to consider other things? Have have you thought about, you know, intimate uh, partner violence in, in, in addition to, you know, uh, the work that you're doing here on HIV or whatever it may be, or, you know, really addressing the issue that you're having in your country around uh, hatred, you know, stigma towards sex workers or, you know, uh, gender diversity or, you know, people who are non-heterosexual. Uh, so I really try, the work is is essentially a very carefully orchestrated conversation around, you know, what do they notice? And then, uh, you know, what do I notice? And, and when I talk about what I notice, I try to bring in the voices of others uh, so that it's not just mine. But I do have the luxury of being a consultant where I can, where I don't have to necessarily, I can sort of be a little more bold if you will, at times.
2: Right, because you're not speaking for the UN directly. Correct. They can. They can you can play good cop, bad cop. Exactly. Of, yeah.
3: A lot of times we are in different places, and this includes the United States, uh, where we say this could never be done, given <sighs> this cultural, you know, lattice or whatever it may be, you know, that, that, that people are not ready for this. Nobody would be able to hear this. Uh, and so it's important for me to, to hear that and acknowledge that. And also a lot of my job um, at the UN specifically around around these kinds of issues is pushing ourselves a little bit.
2: Uh, I love that. I hate that sort of it, this yeah. would be the ideal, but it can't be done. So we yeah. just throw up our hands. I feel yeah. that way about uh, the U.S. approach to sex ed in particular, which I rant on about, you know, that there's so much agreement among sex educators about what a really productive pleasure-based sex ed curriculum would look like. And yep. be, and then and then you get to the end of that description and people say, "But it can't be done." <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, so what we what we did in this meeting was we specifically made a list of all of the things that people in in our field had said, you know, couldn't be done. For example, we wouldn't be able to have people of different genders in the same room talking about uh, sexuality, or watching a condom demonstration, or we wouldn't be able to have condoms in the workplace. That um, that would sort of cause upheaval and you know the the destruction of whatever. Um, you know, and then you know we created this list, and then we said, no, look, you know, all these things have happened, and the sky has not fallen. And yes, there are going to be some people who feel a little uncomfortable about that, and that is absolutely okay. And we'll acknowledge their discomfort and you know, recognize that everyone just comes from a different place, but we underline it and say, this is where we absolutely need to go. Have
2: you ever created or averted an international incident?
3: Uh, (laughs) Oh, just an airports with, (laughs) (laughs) with of course everything that's in my bag. You know, sometimes when I travel to certain countries,
2: Oh yeah.
3: I have tons and tons of supplies, not just for me, but you know, we, They'll load me up with all sorts of things to be, you know, like, well, while you're in this region of the world, could you drop off all of these, uh, you know, female demonstrators or uh, whatever it may be, you know, condom demonstrators? And that that will raise eyes in airports, uh, security or when they're kind of falling out of my bag or whatever.
2: Have you ever had like a dicey incident where you were a little worried things weren't going to go well?
3: A- at the airport? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I'm on a list, I swear to you I'm on a list. Every time I come back to JFK, I not every time, but a lot of the times, well, I always get diverted to this secondary, they have a new secondary line. I get divided, diverted to the secondary line and I've actually gone into the room. There's the, I don't know if you know about the room, but there's a few select people that they send to this room. That are
2: supposed to be random, right?
3: No, 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 it's not supposed to be random. They, they're they're following up on something. They, they don't oh. not under the guys are being random. But they don't tell you what it is that's been flagged, right? Um, so I'm consistently flagged, and I don't know. I worked in Cuba. I don't know if that's part of I have no idea. But at some point, my travels and something has led me to be flagged.
2: That's, like, so, per- you know, I, when I was asking the question, I was, like, figuring that you were in some incredibly conservative country far from here right like but of course no of course the the incredibly conservative country that's fucking with you is the united states so um i stand absolutely corrected that sounds like a drag man but the last thing you want when you're on the tail end of an international flight is like someone harassing you about the dildos in your bag
3: exactly i get pretty defiant actually you should see because then of course you know they're asking all these questions of like Who's your hero in this country and that sort of thing? What? Oh yeah, I I get asked all kinds of questions and I'm like Pancho Villa or like you know, (laughs) like Rigoberta Menchu or something like that and they're like, No, in this country and I'm like, I'm sorry. I you know, I I will not answer this question. I I, you know, I have I have US heroes, but I'm telling you who like I'm telling you some examples of heroes and if my heroes are you know, don't suffice. Oh my
2: god. Doesn't the (laughs) UN give you some sort of protection here?
3: You have a let's say passe, which is uh, sort of, you know, allows you to bypass all sorts of things if you're a UN staff. And as a consultant, I sometimes go in the UN line, but in the US, I don't go in the UN uh, line.
2: Yeah. Wow. So the, you're like uh, Indiana Jones of sex education, <laughs> basically.
3: <laughs> with a bag of like tricks and condoms. And- yes,
2: exactly. I like it. I'm picturing you with like a fedora and a whip yeah (laughs) going on dashing adventures and escaping the authorities and things like that (laughs) yes so how does one i I know i'm saving the best for last because i want to ask you a hundred questions about the free sex advice project yeah um but how did you tell me about your background like did you always know you wanted to be a swashbuckling sex educator (laughs)
3: or like how how did it get to this point francisco (laughs) Uh, it it got to this point. I think quietly over time. I mean, I started about twenty years ago um, in the field, but before that, when I was you know fifteen or sixteen, and you know, queer questioning or whatever I was at that time, uh, you know, I like many young people had suicidal ideations. I was you know being harassed and bullied and. Threats of violence and and all of that, death threats, et cetera, at school, and um, and you know, so it it kind of led me to just kind of find my own, I don't know, escape. And the escape was hanging out in San Francisco and like walking around, you know, the Castro and whatever, like trying to pick up the hanky code and failing. <laughs> <laughs> um, right,
2: because you couldn't look it up on the
3: internet twenty years. No, so. you,
2: didn't. you totally couldn't. <laughs> I was
3: like, "Yellow does not mean what I thought yellow meant." <laughs> oh.
2: What did you think yellow meant?
3: I I I, I can't remember. I just that remember- you were cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> sunny days, sleeping in the clouds. Yes, <laughs> I
2: want to have sex on a sunny day.
3: <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah what I what I noticed in sort of connecting with other people who were experiencing the same thing a, around that time uh... was that we were all being hated on because of our sexual orientation and then as I or perceived sexual orientation as I kind of talked about these things with other people like a lot of my female friends um, at the time I realized how, many, how much they were being hated on for all sorts of reasons I mean just slut shaming to start right but it really just led me to believe, wait, there's something naturally happening to all of us and people are shitting on us nonstop, constantly, and it's, you know, causing actual major harm and it's a harm that's not being addressed. I mean, thankfully now we're we're addressing it in, in much greater ways, but, but back then I felt like we weren't. And so that's what really was the, the driving force to get me to get started in HIV and sexuality education.
2: So you kind of became the hero that you needed back then.
3: Oh, yeah, I guess so. That's sweet to hear or to think of.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I love that.
3: Oh my gosh. I'm going to take that to my therapist. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. It's free. <laughs> All right. I can wait no longer. <laughs> at what point did you think working at the UN as a swashbuckling world traveling sex educator and consultant is not enough. What I really need to do is put out a shingle and a couple of chairs and in Union Square and answer random strangers' sex advice questions.
3: Yeah, uh, I like quirky things. First of all, just to be clear, and but but more than that, I was frustrated. You know, I people ask me a lot, or sometimes I feel like in our conversations in public health and sexuality and sexual health, we talk a lot about you know public health based work or or premises and a uh, premise and then a pleasure-based mm-hmm. you know, focus or, or direction and
2: and there's such a tension and sort of a chasm
3: yes yeah yes there is and it's really frustrating and it, it it's and they're to me they're just so at least in my head I, I just put them in the same bucket and I really you know a lot of the times I just don't care about sort of their separation and I get frustrated and, And I've noticed that over the years, I would have really engaging conversations with people about their dating life, about their hookup dramas, about, you know, anatomy questions and whatever these things were. And then at some point, we would be cut off by something, the bell would ring, Um, we would have to go into their, you know, their test, whatever their test was, you know, some kind of HIV test, Mm
2: -hmm. or,
3: or their results or the research study that I was, you know, that the research questions that I had to ask them or whatever it was. And um, I I understand why all of those things exist, but I just said, I'm not through with that, but I I need something more to sort of survive and feel fulfilled. And so it felt like, it felt like this would be, this would be a place to really reach people exactly where they're at, like literally, you know, geographically, and then with whatever's on their mind. And, And that's, surprising to some people that they can really go wherever they want in the conversations, but it really was born out of this concept that, you know, you have a right to live the sexual life that you need to live for yourself. And I am privileged and fortunate to have, you know, energy and training and all, you know, and, 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 you know, just to have sort of desire to to work around this and, and help myself and others around this. And, uh,
2: It's so brave, like, sitting down, because you have no idea who's going to sit in front of you and what they're going to want to talk about. Yeah. I think, you know, I think about it, like, I think about, ever since I heard your, the story, I was like, mm. what would it be like to do that? And it feels, something about it feels unnerving to me, like, mm. I don't know if I'm going to be prepared to hear everything that sits down in front of me. Yeah. Do you ever feel like that?
3: Um, yes and no. Mostly no, in the sense that... Not even in the beginning? I- Oh, in the, oh, gosh, in the beginning? Absolutely. <laughs> in the beginning, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, gosh, in the beginning, well, the real story is that I had the idea, I think, in 2004 or five, and uh, I think I even blogged about it back when I had a blog in 2004 for a minute. And I was like, I'm going to do this really cool thing. And uh, and then I, I totally didn't do anything. I, I did things about it, but on my on my terms and at my pace so one year for example i bought the chairs off of craigslist which is the same chairs i still use one you know the next year but i got scared and i was like so
2: you just bought the chairs and stashed them in your apartment
3: yes for years between you know from this apartment to the next apartment etc and then i bought the sign didn't do anything with it you know um i had consultations with the lawyer and thought about how to go about it ethically with with different educators and whatnot but still didn't do anything until i got really fed up. And I think it was also being in grad school that sort of, you know, I'm just talking about sort of interventions, you know, all day long and reading about it. I just said, I am going to do this on my own terms right now.
2: So it took you literally years from having the idea to actually the first time you set out your sign and your chairs on the
3: street. Yeah, three or four years.
2: Wow. Okay. That makes me feel validated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you did that. And what was that first time like?
3: Oh gosh! I'll never forget it. Uh, I was terrified. I went to the small corner, the northeast corner of Washington Square Park that doesn't get a ton of traffic, and um, like was basically under a tree branch. I was so scared. <laughs> You're like, maybe come by or maybe just walk by me. Exactly. I was like, just look at me and then go away. I can't, you know, I can't handle this. I couldn't even turn the sign around. I had to call my friend in uh, North Carolina. I was like give me the strength to do this help me like turn around the sign she's like we'll talk she's like put your hand on the sign turn it around etc i was terrified yeah Um, and the first the second person who came by the first the first group of, of folks who came by it was an interesting conversation the second one i just started she had a really like a serious conversation or question It wasn't too like personal it was about like sex texting and once you know you know how to respond to a text appropriately and whatnot but I, I started smiling and almost it looked like I was almost laughing and she I felt really bad because she's like why are you why are you oh. laughing this isn't so funny and I was like I'm just happy <laughs> and uh but I was afraid to tell her that that was my first time right you know you know first time and whatever but you know, I because I wanted to feel like a pro at this, even though I totally wasn't at all. Which I'm sure
2: you would have advice to give someone who said that.
3: Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, but that okay. feeling
2: is super real. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I really quickly, I got over that, and I think any m- many people would. And and I what you said kind of struck me about you know you sit down and you, or somebody sits down, you never know what on earth they could present with, and and it's it's true. Like you know, it's. it's they could bring anything but in some ways it's kind of like life like you you walk out the door and you actually you have no idea what's going to happen you know from like street harassment to Mm -hmm. like you know a thunderstorm to you know uh to good news to bad news whatever it may be there's so many things that can just happen unexpectedly without sort of our you know you know without without our hands necessarily being in it and and uh or, you know, orchestrating in some way and that's kind of like what this is and so if, like you know if I'm prepared enough for life I'm prepared enough for this <laughs>
2: it's like a spiritual practice yeah yeah so tell me some of your more memorable encounters if you would
3: oh yeah there's been so many um let's see I there's so many there's there's a the woman of my first happy moments was a woman, I wrote years ago a sex advice column at UC Berkeley on rimming. It was the first, it was the first column or the first thing I'd ever written on sex, actually, ever in 2000, or no, 90, I have no idea, 97 or 8, something like that. And, uh, and she found me, she, you know, happened upon me and she told me that sort of the, the, the column, but specifically that changed her life. And she's, not only, like, you know, happy in relationships, but she's, like, a, you know, professional rimmer or whatever she called herself. I I can't remember. (laughs) Um, But she was, you know, grew up really conservative. Um, Because that was the first one I remember. But, you know, there's been just so many. Um, There's, you know, women... I was uh, out there with Joan Price, uh, who works on senior sex a lot recently, and there was, um, you know, people of all ages, you know, people in their 70s and 80s coming to, to ask questions about, you know, how does... Kind of sex change over the years. Mm -hmm. And it's there's what I think is hard for me to pull out is kind of like one, one sort of specific question. But for me, it's more like the, the thread of questions of people opening up about things that they've never shared about. I mean, people on a regular basis sit down in the chair and tear up or just bawl, you know? And sometimes they're doing it. You know, and they, they intended to do it. They're almost doing it kind of like they, they, you know, they almost plan to sort of have that catharsis. And other times they're doing it behind, you know, big bug sunglasses, you know, and they don't want people to see. Um, that's that's sort of the interesting thread of it for me. Um, it's sometimes less about, you know, the, the juicy question, but more about how deep people are just willing to go off, off the bat.
2: Or possibly even you know that they're desperate for a place to go that deep right that there aren't enough places to where that space can be held
3: yeah i mean and, and for like all walks you know like it, it's there are so many for example you know heterosexual identified you know men who sit in the chair who are just you know tearing up about something that they've never shared um it would you know, I. I don't, to me, to me still feels surprising, in a way, after all these years. Uh, and it's exactly, I think, what you said, that people just don't have these spaces.
2: Well, I think it's really beautiful that you're making those spaces. What do you learn? I mean, I, I can only imagine that you learn as much as you offer from this kind of an exchange. What are you getting out of it?
3: It's there's There's something about the joy of creating something from start to finish that I'm able to see in real time you know I work mm-hmm. when I'm creating videos or whatnot there's you know you're storyboarding you're conceptualizing you're thinking about your advertisers you're doing all these things uh... but here it's just there's this immediacy and so um... you know more than anything I think it allows me uh... The, the, gives me the ability to, to really feel compassion in a way that I never thought I could um, like it's, yeah, even like thinking about it, like now it's almost well up because it's the, the, the stories that people walk around with, um, it, to have them sort of all live in a, in a bowl, like in my head, mm. um, is, is a lot, but also it's, it's, it's really gratifying. There's just something I feel really honored. I think, I think what I get out of it is, is is just gratitude for this is going to sound corny, but humanity or um, this you know, is a, for,
2: a safe space for corny.
3: Thank you. <laughs> I you know, I'm I think, corny as hell. I love it. You know, and and you know, gratitude for people's courage. And I think that you know, another thing I get out of it is just people's courage feeds me to be more badass and and brave. Hopefully, in my work. Uh, so I think in a, in a lot of ways we egg each other on to, mm. to test ourselves and, and, and our limits.
2: Do people ever tell you horrible things, like that they've done horrible things?
3: Yes, yes, yes. I feel
2: I, like that would be the hardest part for me. Is how do you hold space for that person?
3: Yeah, I love yeah yeah because obviously to be clear, I love when somebody come, you know sits down and somebody's done them wrong, and we have you know a ten minute like, oh my goodness, can you believe right? What? who on earth would, you know, dare do that. But, and sometimes I have the person sit down and they're the ones essentially who committed the violation or whatever it is, um, of all sorts, you know, of all sorts, you know, from Instagram wars to, you know, thing, you know, worse. Um, and, uh, and I think there, you know, like that's, that's sort of quite honestly, one of the most, uh, revealing parts of the work, because I feel like in public health, when I address misogyny or when I address, you know, gender inequities or whatever it may be, or, you know, homophobia or something like that, it's really easy for me to sort of, you know, use broad brushes and talk about Mm -hmm. this thing that we sort of need to overcome. But when I have an individual in front of me who I've quite honestly developed some kind of connection with, you know, already, um, I can't help but see their humanity behind what they're saying. Um, so it's really afforded me the ability to to look at somebody's story and say, sometimes in my head, and sometimes say to them, you know, huh, Okay, so it sounds like your upbringing has led you to this, or it sounds like that. You know, your education or your understanding of of the world is this. You know, is there is there some other way to to think about this, or what? You know, how do you think that this works and doesn't work for you? Uh, it's a fine it's a fine line in something difficult. I've never really been. The only times I'm really offended, or not even, but if somebody is, like, attacking me, which happens once in a while. Um, like, they
2: come and say nasty things to you?
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happens sometimes. You know, there's all sorts of people. Sure. Um, yeah, somebody told me, I don't remember why. Oh, yeah, yeah, somebody was homophobic earlier in the spring. It was like, in other circumstances, if there weren't people around on the street, I would kill you right now. And I was mm-hmm. like... <laughs> it, wow. Yeah, and, you know, that was a conversation. You know, and and still, even with that Lovely man, uh, you know I still still engaged with him. I wasn't necessarily overjoyed to be engaging with him. So you don't I,
2: tell him get out of my chair.
3: No, no, I I held the space and 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 you know I, I was thinking about sort of my own personal safety. It was I don't know the middle of the night and whatnot. Um, but so I yeah I was thinking don't start anything like live right. <laughs> so I, Um, but, but more than anything, I thought, let's just, let's see if we can sort of uncover anything about his, um, you know, experience with, uh, gay people or, you know, non-heterosexual people, whatever it is. Um, sadly we didn't get too far, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not much was accomplished. Um, but, but it was still important for me. I don't, I, I have to think about why, but it was still important for me to, to sort of give him the the decency of, you know, of, of a real conversation.
2: Wow. That yeah, fact. that is almost unbearably generous of you.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, nobody else was in line.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Still at all. Is there often a line?
3: Uh, yeah, it depends on the time of day or the, just how things go. Yeah, a lot of times there's a line. Sometimes I have someone helping out to manage that. Sometimes it's just me kind of saying who's next and people kind of, you know, leasing that on their own
2: do you kind of have a reputation at this point like people come seek you out uh yeah definitely people will
3: you know either find me on social media or you know tr- look at my twitter and see when i'm when i'm going to be there next uh other times people will walk by and you know i think over over time and you know with exposure here and there that people have heard about it but it's really i think people people are only really sold usually until they you know If if they've heard me speak somewhere, say, for example, on this, or oftentimes when they've sat down to converse with me, just because it's such an odd, you know, premise that people don't know what to expect. They think, you know, they think that we're secretly shooting and that there's cameras somewhere or, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, But, you know, soon after, like a minute or two, they realize, oh, wait, I can actually ask anything I want.
2: Right. This is the real thing.
3: Yeah, hopefully.
2: (laughs) Well, it's real. Whatever it is, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty unusual to encounter. Mm. I think a lot of the times when you're walking through the park and you see people with a sign up or sort of a station set up, they're trying to sell you something or hustle you for a signature or like there's an agenda yeah. more, more than I'm sitting here and want to help you.
3: Yeah. I, um, I have two signs. I have like the 1.0 and the 2.0, and I've mostly used 2.0. 1.0 was handwritten and then. Or, you know, done with like markers. And then it was a windy day and it was by the fountain in Washington square park. And it was like, then it looked like the Munster's writing or whatever. So we got rid of that. Um, but the two point is printed. And some of the comments have been, it looks like maybe you're part of a religion or you're trying to sell something or you want me to join on some cause. Uh, so I have a master plan for a 3.0. I want to do like a beautiful sign with like those kind of, you know, colorful, Um, magnet letter magnets that you put on a refrigerator for example
2: oh yeah yeah
3: and i i think that would be nice and sort of in between you know formal and informal right
2: legible but more homemade feeling yeah
3: and not destroyable by rain
2: (laughs) which seems important in your line of form yeah i i'm just in awe i'm so curious is it possible for someone like me to come sit and with you sometime
3: Are you kidding? Absolutely. I would love that. I would lose my mind if you came to New York and, you know, sat with me to do this. I've had um, people over the years do this. A lot of um, sex workers or um, um, people in the sex industry, porn actors or whoever it is, have have, have also come out. Um, And it's it's a hoot. It's a hoot. And every day is different. Uh, You just, like you said, you just don't know what to expect. Um, But yeah, I mean... I mean quite honestly my voice is just one you know and I've gotten I've gotten better necessarily I, I think I've gotten getter, better at giving people what they want which a lot of people in this in the advice business if you will want some clear definite you know you uh, should do x and not y Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know people don't hear well things are difficult and you know, this is a complex situation and maybe this, they don't want that right so uh, you know sometimes I experiment with being a little more I don't know, direct, you know, giving more direction, I guess. Um, So having somebody else to tag team with, it makes it really nice because my direction is just my random direction.
2: Right. And we can sort of workshop it more together. Yeah. Speaking Um, of which, do you have a question to put to our listeners so they can continue the conversation uh, online after the show is over?
3: I do. I, this is inspired. This question is inspired by summer. And by the time of year that we all, you know, we're wearing less clothes, mm-hmm. we're having more fun. We're like uh, summer Fridays and all this, just having pleasure, right? So here we go. Here's the question. What or who do you need to cut from your life to more wholly embrace your sexuality? Ooh, mm. that's a question. <laughs> I, love it. I used to cut because it was strong, right?
2: Cut is strong. (laughs) I like what or who, right? It's not always a person. Sometimes it's a dynamic or some tape that's been playing in your head for 20 years or an institution or, you know, those sorts of things. But, yeah. Oh, I love that. Say it again.
3: What or who do you need to cut from your life to more wholly embrace your sexuality?
2: Okay. I want to hear from you listeners on Twitter at mention us so that we will see it directly in our mentions, although I'll be definitely ma- monitoring the hashtag as well. I'm at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. Where are you on Twitter?
3: At Francisco NYC.
2: Francisco NYC. Excellent. That is such a great question. We could all use to spend a little time with that question.
3: Mine, by the way, I thought of it. On yeah. The, <laughs> when I wrote the question. Um, what I need to cut from my life to wholly embrace my sexuality mirrors mirrors I will snapping after do you hear that snap yeah.
2: yes
3: yes that's all i'm saying i have to think <laughs>
2: about mine mm. so what i'll do is by the time this airs uh i will i will also have my own answer that i'll share on
3: twitter lovely
2: yeah <laughs> excellent so Francisco, I could talk to you forever. Me um, too. How can people follow you online?
3: Sure. Uh, my first name is Francisco. My last name is Ramirez, R A M I R E Z Z Z Z. Are you Canadian? <laughs> no, at the UN, I get used to, to writing programs oh. <laughs> and saying Z <laughs> instead of Z. Uh, sorry. Uh, Francisco Ramirez, so you can find me at bat.com, franciscoRamirez.com, and Twitter at Francisco NYC, and Facebook. Francisco NYC also.
2: And if they follow your Twitter, they can, and if they're in New York, they can find out where you might be if they want some free sex advice.
3: Totes, yes. Excellent. Use the
2: hashtag Unscrewed on Twitter to join in the convo. You can also email me Unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. To let me know what you thought of this show. If you have ideas for future shows. I always love hearing from listeners. You can find Unscrewed wherever fine podcasts are available. iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, and Wire at iTunes. Give us a few lines of a review. Give us five stars. That is how other folks find the show. That's how we move up in the rankings. Our In-N-Out music is by The Pink Tiles. Our cover art is by Nicole Dadana. And it was produced in collaboration with the folks at the establishment who also designed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm Jacqueline Friedman, wishing you safe and happy sex lives.